It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. For my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us right here on Dr. Stu's Podcast. You can listen right here on the main page. You see the links on the right to Fearless Pregnancy. That's Dr. Stu's book. You see a link to his blogs. And you can subscribe on iTunes. I say to everybody, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You'll never miss a new show. Write him a nice review. Give Dr. Stu five stars and spread the word about Dr. Stu's podcast, which is spreading. I mean, you know, moms telling moms, telling doulas, telling midwives. I mean, really, you should be proud of the way this is spreading. Yeah, I'm really I really am. I mean, I wish that was a way to count heads better, but. But I know that it's getting around. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. We're getting some emails. And by bringing in some of the guests like we've had in the past month or so, um, it's spreading to different areas. That's why I would like a diverse group of, of guests to come on. I really would like to get some, as I said in the last podcast, it would be great to get somebody who's not pro-home birth or pro-natural uh, birth or those sorts of things. But it's very hard to get those people to come out of their little cocoon or their little sheep's pen that they sit in. And do combat. And, well, and it's not even combat. It would be just to have an honest honest dialogue. They would consider it combat, you know, because they part of me believes that they can't argue the, the facts. Yeah. So that they end up, what ends up, it becomes name-calling, it becomes ridiculing, it becomes... Uh, and that it's off the rails. Yeah, and, and it's too bad because although I'm an advocate for out-of-hospital birthing, I'm an advocate for... Uh, true informed consent and, and and freedom of choice and the right to uh, f- choose or refuse uh, whatever is offered to you, offered right. to a woman right. I don't believe it's for everybody and I'm cl- clearly honestly believe that hospitals have a role and home has a role but the people that are for you know hospital birthing they you know that are against home birthing again I said they've never they'll never attended one they, I, I was at an ICANN meeting recently. What uh, is an ICANN meeting? ICANN meeting is the International Cesarean Awareness Network. And okay. I went to the Silver Lake meeting. I was the guest speaker a few days ago. On, oh. I guess it was, uh, yeah, a few days ago. And it's, it's like the women sit around in a circle and we introduce ourselves. And they go around and they tell their stories. And without fail, the Kleenex box comes out as these women start to break down and cry about the feelings that they they still carry years later, probably for the rest of their life, about how, not that they ended up with a cesarean section in their first birth, but that their their goals were disrespected, that they weren't treated fairly, that they were given misinformation, they weren't given a, a true information to be able to make a, a fair choice. And the, and the doctors always say, well, listen, your baby's healthy. But at, what I would really love is for OBGYNs who have a C-section rate of 40% to have to come to and sit into an ICANN meeting and listen to these women. Let me ask for, you. For residents, too. I think it would be great for residents. I'm going to be speaking with some residents down in Irvine in the next couple of days, and I really am looking forward to talking about that on my podcast when, uh, after, after the fact. Yeah, I look forward to having that conversation with you. We've talked a lot here on Dr. Stu's podcast about cesareans, uh, VBACs, vaginal birth after cesarean, and there is really here, I mean, we're at podcast number 32. Congratulations for that. They're, they're is, re- there, is there a name or a title for 32? Uh, no, we'll come up with a name for okay. it, but, uh, but, but we're 32 in, and, and there is a theme, and, and w- there are many themes. One of the themes is, if you go back, and so many people have, and you listen to the complete catalog of podcasts that Dr. Stu has done here, uh, the cesarean is, is, is absolutely uh, you know, put out there as what you want to avoid. And the story that you just shared about 
uh, these ladies, even years later, still uh, being moved to tears about the fact that they felt maybe that they were led to a cesarean. So I will ask you a question that we've touched on before, but 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 it's really worth asking now, uh, given given what you said a moment ago, is the I'm going to use this word. I don't know if it's applicable. Is the sin is the stigma is the terrible idea of a cesarean section is it because of that old we've talked about old country you shouldn't have to, you should have the baby the natural way the vaginal way is it that is it cultural or is it some sort of trauma associated with the surgery to get your baby out of you or is it both of those things well i think in american culture it's it, in american culture it's less cultural than it is in, say, an African culture, where we had talked about that one lady before, right? who was not considered a woman and was laughed at by her peers until she had her V-back after three C-sections. I think it's more of women feeling disempowered, feeling that, that they got a C-section for what they thought was the right reason at the time, and then only to educate themselves afterwards as, a, as, a, as opposed to beforehand, to find that they didn't really probably need to go down that path at all. That a lot of the things that were done to them were, were, they were given skewed information, they were given false information, they were given inductions for no reason, ultrasounds for no reason that led them into a path where they ended up getting a C-section. And then, of course, when they're doing, doing the C-section, the baby may not be tolerating the labor really well, and then they're given that fateful statement, you know, well, you know, if we don't do something soon, your baby could be damaged or your baby could be injured. And once you say that to a pregnant woman, it's it's completely over. What are they going to do? Choose to go against their doctor's wishes at that point because and then put their baby at risk, even though the baby not, may not be at risk. Once they're told that, it's and, over. Okay. Yeah. And and and, and, and then they find out and they feel terrible about okay, it. Okay. They, they feel terrible about it. Help me. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question directly, and I don't want it to be insensitive, Doctor Stu. But I but but I'm asking for those who might be listening, who might in their mind have this question: How do you? Or why do you seek to make the case to a woman, a woman who's had a successful cesarean and a healthy baby, how do you or why do you seek to make the case to her that the cesarean was a bad thing if it turned out okay? Forgive me if that sounds insensitive, and if it does, forgive me, it's, it's naivete, but... If, if, if the baby's healthy and, and if, it, if mom was out, came back, recovered from the surgery, I'm a C-section. If, if, if it ended okay, not that the ends justify the means, none of that stuff. Okay, as long as you're understanding of that. And I am, and I am understanding of that. But, but why would you seek to make the case to that mom that it was such a terrible thing if, quite frankly, um, to everyone's eyes and ears, it seemed to no, work I, out okay? I get your question, Brian, and you're mistaking what we're talking about here. We're not talking about taking a woman who's feeling fine about things and telling her information that suddenly makes her feel bad. These are women who had a cesarean section and then eventually they started to doubt these things. So they went on the internet or they went to meetings and they began to find, and they got their records and they had them reviewed by somebody. They've already come to these conclusions. It's not my job to undermine what another physician has done if the woman is happy and content with her situation. And again, there are C-sections, and sometimes in these stories that go around, a woman will talk about her C-section, and I'll say, you know, 
that was a really indicated C-section and that's a really good outcome. And they'll say, yeah, I feel pretty good about that, but I want to have a vaginal birth next time. That's why I'm at this meeting. So we're not taking women who are content and happy and then trying to make them un, you know, dis, discontent. Yeah, right. We are taking women who are already emotionally upset because they've figured it out on their own mm. and they've sought out information mm. and they're coming for a, a support system, a support group. Mm. Because like, like anybody who's gone through trauma, these women have occasionally post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, they really are emotional about it. Because of the surgery and the C-section. Because of the C-section? Not because necessarily of the C-section, but because of the... The pressures before. The trickery, the, 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 the misinformation. Tri the trickery. The, the trickery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that they're getting is being told is to skew them down the path that's easiest for the doctor. I mean, why does a woman get an unnecessary C-section at 39 weeks? This happened to me recently. At 39 weeks... A, a woman gets an unnecessary C-section by her doctor, a Cedars doctor, supposedly, you know, this great hospital, Cedars. And she's told by the doctor that the baby's head is smaller than the abdomen to a point where there's a risk of something called a shoulder dystocia. Tell me the severity uh, doctors do, since you are the doctor. Uh, tell me uh, how severe that risk is that you just Well, described. that risk is very small and it's not predictable. But however, this physician told this woman that the risk of shoulder dystocia in this particular baby was 25% and went through this horrible lit lit uh, litany? Is yeah. That litany, that's the right word. Went through this horrible litany of things that could happen like broken clavicles, broken arms, nerve injury, broken, uh, having to cut the woman's symphysis pubis. I mean, unbelievable stuff that you would never think. A list of horrors. A list of horrors. And told her that she should have a cesarean section. Now, her Bradley instructor found out about this, knows me. The woman came to see me for a second opinion. When I found out this information, and that's how I know about it, I found out through interviewing her. She came to see me for a second opinion. Uh -huh. And I had no dog in that fight. I wasn't going to be taking over her care. Right. I just wanted to give her an honest opinion. She was how far along at this point, Dr. 39 Steve? weeks. Okay. Again, she had a C-section for no reason. And they found something that was... Uh, that had no bearing on her pregnancy because the head to abdomen ratio thing, there are some studies out there that talk about the risk factor of shoulder dystocia in women who are diabetic or macrosomic, which means babies over nine and a half pounds. Okay. All right. This woman was not predicted to be over nine and a half pounds, nor was she diabetic. So the, the data that this doctor told her had nothing to do with her. And made it all up. And by the way, I don't know where the 25% came from anyway. And the horror stories. But not, but not a word was mentioned about the risk of cesarean section when the, woman, when the doctor recommended to her that she have a cesarean section rather than even trying labor. There's no reason this woman shouldn't have had a trial of labor. And I went through this with her. And she left my office feeling okay. But apparently she went back to the doctor. And the doctor must have, again, reiterated her fears, scared this woman. This woman, by the way, was a above-average height, normal weight, uh, African-American female, well capable of giving birth to a baby, ended up, she decided to go with a C-section. She had a C-section. The baby weighed 8 pounds, 13 ounces, which is a normal-sized baby. It's not too big. And the doctor tells her afterwards that, oh, you know, the, this baby's shoulders were so big that I had a hard time getting it out of the C-section scar. You don't believe that? Well, I don't know whether she had a hard time or not, but what does that have to do with anything? What does it have to do with whether it would have come out the vagina or not? I mean, this doctor is telling her information to make the doctor feel better, to make, to make it seem like the doctor's decision was, was even more appropriate. Or heroic. There's nothing about this that's correct. Nothing. Nothing. And then the, the doctor even sent her to a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Yeah. Who gave the same? Who, who basically rubber stamped her opinion? 
which is what a lot of these guys do, because ultimately they don't want no one wants to take any responsibility. He doesn't want to counteract this doctor. He wants her referrals. I have to ask you a question, Doctor Stu, and this is a great story. Woman is being treated. She comes to you for the second opinion. She goes back to the original doctor. She has the C-section. Then, then she sees the the what the the maternal fetal specialist before before the C-section. Okay. Um, Does it occur to you? Does it occur to you think to your colleagues, the other physicians, that the patient here is being worked like a ping pong ball? Ping pong this way, that way. See this one, see that one. Listen to this one. Listen to that one. That has got to be overwhelming for a pregnant woman. Well, I mean, isn't that fair to say? Is it fair to say out loud that that there should be an effort made by the medical community to not ping pong these patients, these clients well, back that, and forth? That like- gets back to the basic statement that isn't it right? Isn't it most fair for a woman to be told the truth from the very beginning? The first time. Yes. They wouldn't have to be ping-ponged or get second opinions. The only reason she saw me was because her Bradley instructor's smarter than her doctor and knows that this stuff is, is full of crap. Everything that she told her was maybe about this doctor's fear. Maybe this doctor's had a bad shoulder dystocia in one of her patients in the past and doesn't want to deal with any of that stuff. So, and is hypersensitive to it. Obviously. I mean, I don't know what the reason. And would I love to talk to this doctor about it? Yes. Would I love to uh, be able to contact her and have a normal conversation and ask, you know, why did you do this? Here's what I thought. Where would you get this information? But that would never happen because those doctors never want to face a debate, an honest debate about their opinions. Have you they don't tr- like to be challenged. In your practice, have you had, Dr. Stu, an experience where you might make a call to to pursue a conversation like that and, and, and the call's not returned? Only if it was requested by the patient. If the patient requested that I call the doctor and speak to them as a second opinion, it would be my obligation to then at least attempt to put a phone call right. in. You won't do it without the consent or request oh, of the no, patient. It, right. no. I didn't know. I'm asking. No. Yeah. Uh, right. you know, I would love to do it in, in, you know, at, at some dinner meeting sometime and walk up to her and say, so tell me tell me about this 25% uh, shoulder dystocia rate. Where did that come from? You know, I, I, I love talking to you because, because, uh, because it seems every time we do a podcast, I have a thought and, and, um, and, and oftentimes there are thoughts I have I have never had before in the years and years and years that you and I have been conversing. I'm going to draw a comparison for you, and I don't want to offend you or your credentials as a doctor. I don't think there's anything that you could say that would offend me, Brian, okay. because I know you. You've been my friend forever. And I love you, and you know that. Right. When you talk about the differing opinions that physicians have, one says this, one's hypersensitive to that. One wants to do it this way. One believes that's the right way to do it. The other one says, you know what? This is the right way to do it. Let's try it my way. Is it totally out of bounds for me to sit here and think, you know what? Physicians, doctors, they're sort of like mechanics. You can go to one and he'll say, you know what? I've been fixing cars like this <laughs> yep. for 15 years and it's always worked out. And you can, but, if you, but if you don't trust me, Get a second opinion, and you do that, and you drive down the street to another garage to another mechanic, and he says, you know what? I'd never do it the way that guy says he's been doing it for 15 years. Now, in that case, that's a, that's a motorist. That's a consumer. In your scenario, we're talking about a much more serious uh, circumstance. We're talking about a human life and a pregnant mom, okay? Uh, two human, uh, two lives, okay? Uh, so it's a much more, the, the, the bar is raised. But uh, isn't it isn't the level of confusion or the wow what do i do element in all of this for the 
customer, the patient, the client. Yes. It's sort of the same kind of who do I well, believe the, thing. The difference in your example from what happened, what I just ex- the example I just gave, is that the first mechanic said to the woman, "Why don't you get a second opinion? If you don't, you want to find out something." That would never happen here. I think an honest physician who's really certain and comfortable with their position would offer the woman a second opinion from somebody who's outside of that person's circle. To send a second opinion to the maternal fetal medicine specialist who you refer all your people to. That's your ally. That's like sending, you know, that's like you going to the, they'll get you a break job here and sending it to your brother-in-law over there and calling your brother-in-law first and saying, by the way, I'm sending somebody over for well, second opinion. Well, it's like Barack uh, Obama. I want you to tell him, here's what I want you to tell him. It's like Barack Obama saying, if you don't think you like Obamacare, go talk to Joe Biden for a second opinion. Right. That would be... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. 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 No, I, I, I understand that point. Right. No, and, and Brian, what I'm saying about this whole thing with this, this particular case is that this case will never be peer-reviewed because the dictation will be such that it was justified in her dictation that this was a, you know, a, a possible shoulder dystocia risk and this is what the assessment was, and it's fine. But I would love it if I had a way to contact the OB department at this hospital and say to them, you know what? You should take a look at this case. Mm. And you should at least have an inquiry as to what this doctor is telling people. Is, is this legitimate? Is there evidence? Is there evidence-based medicine? Is there, are there literature studies? Are there things to justify what she's saying in a non-diabetic, non-macrosomic fetus and bringing this stuff to her and scaring the bejeebers out of her? Dr. Stu, this is alarming to, I, I think... I don't this, even know what bejeebers are. But, but you made the point, though. I get it. Okay. This is alarming, I think, to the person listening because you are painting a picture of, the, of a community of physicians, of, of, a, um, of a medical establishment that operates within in such a confined sort of narrow area that you as a credentialed physician feel intimidated or somehow unwelcomed to call a colleague and say hey take a look at this well i mean why i'm going to ask the question why do you think your colleagues are so rigid that a phone call like that would be deemed so offensive to receive uh ego and um, the herd mentality, you j- you, no one wants to rock the boat. We've talked about this. You know, Brian, that I am sort of a... A, a boat rocker. I'm a radical. I'm a, you're, you're, you're our, our, our renegade doctor. Renegade, that's the word, right. right. I'm the guy that's out there that, that is the, you know, the thorn in the shoe or the pebble in the shoe, the thorn in the foot that challenges these things. And, and it, it really doesn't... Nobody... These people have to work under the same roof, the same rules, and... It's not their position to to sort of say anything about somebody else's patient. There's there's HIPAA violations. There's there's rules and regulations. I personally think you know there should be like a complaint box where you can put things in anonymously. And somebody like if if somebody isn't happy with the practice of a doctor, they can write a, a letter to the medical board of California, and the medical board of California by law has to anonymously investigate that claim without telling the doctor they're investigating who complained. Right. The name of the patient is, is Patient, prote- is doctor, protected. hospital, right. whoever complained right. is protected, but at least they would look into it. Now, I'm not a big fan of the medical board, as you know. I think they're a, 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 you know, a, a domineering, overbearing uh, organization that scares, again, doctors are scared out of their mind by things like the medical board or the joint commission. You believe the or, medical board, you believe the medical board is used as a tool to intimidate good physicians. 
Well, I wouldn't. Not good physicians. I think it's to intimidate any physician, any physician. who right. who gets out, who steps outside the line. Okay. I mean, listen, the medical board does legitimate uh, stuff, and I've had my experiences with them. Right. And I'm not talking about that. Right. But I am talking about the fear that every doctor has that every bad outcome, every low APGAR score, every uh, failed uh, uh, documentation in the chart gets reported to the medical board and they keep tabs on all that stuff. They keep a file on you. And then if you overstep your bounds at any particular time or you get uh, several people that write a complaint, they start to investigate you. And that's very nerve wracking because they have the power to take away your ability to make your livelihood. Mm. And so I just, you know, again, I think that even in the hospitals, when there is peer review, it's all private. No one ever knows anything about it because it's not public knowledge. Yeah. So if there's a bad doctor at a hospital, the hospital may do some internal uh, discovery or internal correction, but the community doesn't know about that. The patients don't get to know about that. I don't know what this doctor's C-section rate is, but I, all I know is that this woman deserved, first of all, did not deserve to have an ultrasound that was unnecessary and lead to all these other interventions. So I would ask the listeners, please be careful about having random ultrasounds for no reason near term. Mm. All right, because they're going to find often will find something that will lead them to start to investigate things when they didn't really need to do it. But this woman deserved a chance to have a vaginal birth, and I I would bet you that uh, nine out of ten times that's what would, that's what would have happened to her. Here on Doctor Stu's podcast a moment ago, uh, he was described as the renegade doctor, right? The 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 pebble in in the shoe. But he's not alone. Doctor Stu comes to the podcast today armed with a book called "Assume the Physician" uh, by John F. Hunt. MD. Uh, the author is a doctor, just as our host is, Dr. Stu here. And and we were uh, uh, perusing this book before we started the podcast. The book, again, is called Assume the Physician. And my friend, Dr. Stu, the author is a kindred spirit of yours. Yeah, he's a twin uh, son of a different mother. This <laughs> right, guy, right. This guy um, I'm reading his book, um, Assume the Physician. It's a pretty and new book, isn't it? It came out in 2012. And it even, you know, so it even has references to the Affordable Care Act and all the bureaucracy that goes on. This guy's writing about what it's like to be in training as a resident is so accurate and so disheartening and so funny. And so true. And so true that it is that it is amazing to read. I can't put it down. I can't stop laughing and crying at the same time. The way he described, you know, I could read passages, but we don't do that on Dr. Stu's podcast because we want our audience to stay awake. <laughs> but but there, I would recommend anybody who's interested in the, finding more about what it's like to be a, a doctor, and he compares the hospital uh, government-run medical system to the George Orwell's book, uh, the Animal, oh, Animal, Farm. Animal, Animal, right. Farm, Animal Farm, right. where the, the doctors are the sheep and the insurance companies are the pigs and the government is the pigs and then the wolves are the lawyers and the goats <laughs> are the hospital administrators who do the bidding of the pigs, right. all at the expense of the sheep. And we, uh, the sheep are herded here and there. And if somebody gets out of line, they get sheared. And it, it really is it's a pretty brilliant analogy. Yeah, and he and he talk and he just pokes fun at he pokes fun at the airlines. He pokes fun at everything, and he does it in a way that is literary genius. As far as I'm concerned, mm. I'm envious of this guy's ability to write. I mean, I'm a writer. I, I've written a lot of podcasts. I mean, I've written podcasts, but I, I've written blogs and I've written uh, a book and I've done other things. But if I were to write a book about this stuff, it would be it would be 
this book, but not as good. So he's taken away one burden on one burden on me was to was to write a book like this. You don't have to. Do I don't have now. to do it anymore. Right, but you enjoy reading his. I could write one about obstetrics because he's he writes he's a he, he writes as if he's a he's a pediatric family practice resident uh, during the time that that the, or at least the main character in the book is. I wonder. So it is fiction. Uh, I I I wonder. It's uh, I would call it historical fiction. Okay, cool. I wonder, John Hunt, the author of Assume the Physician, will have a link here on Doctor. Stu's podcast on the main page uh, over uh, to Amazon to the book if you want to check it out. I wonder, and we, we can only wonder, what his thoughts would be. Of course, he deals in a different area of medicine. What his thoughts would be about the challenges, obstacles, and hurdles that you've articulated that exist in obstetrics and gynecology in 2013 or 2014. Yeah, well, if he were able to, if he gets wind that I'm promoting him and that I love him, then I would love him to maybe contact me. Uh, through our email at uh, ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com and come and be on the podcast. And come and be on the podcast. Or, you know, they always say if you could have lunch with somebody, one famous person or somebody. Who would it be? Who would it be? Mine well, is this, Bill, Bill Clinton as well. Yeah, this is, well, this is in the top five for me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because again. I would love I would love to, I would also love to have lunch with some people that I don't agree with. Yeah, the, those lunches are the most fun. Would be interesting. But this guy, I think, would be the most entertaining lunch. And, and sometimes you want to have camaraderie. Everybody loves being in a circle of people who all think like they do. Sure. I just think this guy is great. And I'm really urging people to pick up his book. If Christmas is coming up, give it as a Christmas gift. Now you purchased I ordered five copies. To give out to, to colleagues for Christmas. Yeah, and, and I ordered it from Amazon, <laughs> and a little drone flew in into my office and flew into my office, and less than 36 hours later, you had I had the books. Yeah, you and can't beat it, right? I don't know how the Amazon does that. I don't know how they do that. It's amazing, isn't yeah, it? it is amazing. I mean, it really truly is. Here on Dr. Obvi obviously not a government-run organization. No, of course not. Of right. course not. Uh, we were talking before we started the podcast today about uh, ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and one of uh, my one of my favorite talk topics to talk about just before lunch right yeah just before lunch uh, well well speaking of lunch they talked about pizza in what can only be deemed a very controversial bumper sticker that i guess they manufactured it is that did they yeah yeah i have an editorial here from 2010 written by elizabeth mitchell armstrong and um in, it was in the journal of uh, perinatal education in 2010 and and I've seen this before, and the reason I brought it up is because in a current issue of OBGYN Management, which is a throwaway journal, they ask a, 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 a physician from Tufts University mm -hmm. to um, talk a little bit about the, uh, he wonders why well-educated women are more likely to choose home birth. And in the article, he brings up the same quote that was brought up like many, many times, um, which is says, let's keep home delivery where it belongs for pizza. And the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology in 2009 also put out a bumper sticker which said, home deliveries are for pizza, not babies. Mm. Now, this sort of behavior, this sort of uh, it's, it's certainly very provocative. It's, it's, it's childish, all right? It, it, it stifles debate. It's typical of people who can't argue facts. It belittles folks. To put people, to, to attack the, the reputations mm -hmm. or, the, or the name of the people that are supporting a different position. Uh, you can't argue. It attacks their intellect, too. 
Well, how, how do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, to I, mean, I, 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 I think it's a I think it's a pretty uh, wholesale attack on the intellect of those who would support home birth, as I know you do, to put on a to put on a bumper sticker that 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 home delivery is for a pizza, not for a baby. It's like you know, you 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 dope. What are you thinking? No, it's it's, it's the, like it's like a ten year old who thinks he's being clever. Okay, all right. Okay, all yeah, right. that's what I, that's what I understand. Okay, okay. You know, like right. like uh, you know, um, yeah. Buck Fush. Right, right, right. No, I got that wrong. Yeah, no, I got that right. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that, is that supposed to be clever? Right. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's juvenile. Yeah, no, but, you know. And this, is, this is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology supporting a juvenile, quote, all right, to, to belittle those people who believe that home birth should be a reasonable option. Not that home birth is for everybody, but that it's a reasonable option. Just like vaginal delivery for women who have unnecessary ultrasound should be a reasonable option. Hmm. I mean, what is it about me promoting this stuff that makes me the radical, makes me the outsider? Do you what, think that, do you sometimes put your head on the pillow at night and say, what is it about this cause that I'm taking on that makes others think I'm so out there? No, because I, I understand the whole process really well. Mm -hmm. I understand where they're coming from. What I can't understand is why they act like sheep and defend it. They, it can't feel, I mean, it can't feel good morally or ethically for them if they were to acknowledge what they're doing. So they have to play this game. They have to be in the animal farm. But it is such a it is such an unexpected reaction. The the herd mentality is so unexpected when it comes from a community of academics, because these are in our society. You guys, the doctors, the physicians, for lack of a better term, you're the smart ones in society. Hey, you're well, the intellects. Was it wasn't Neville Chamberlain a very bright guy? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was. And and right. did the elites right think that there was nothing wrong with uh, what was going on in in Germany in the 30s? Right. Right. Okay. Now I'm not comp again. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm not comparing. I'm just saying. I that understand. Just because people are bright doesn't mean they don't get the herd mentality. Right. You've Happen met a, you've met a lot of dummies with nice diplomas. Yeah. Well, you know, the right? dummies is not. I guess I, I don't even want to be pejorative in that way. Okay. I just want to say I met a lot of people. I don't understand the my democratic liberal friends right. who are still continuing to support democratic liberal policies when they can't stand what's happening with foreign policy right now with Israel or uh, Iran, or they can't stand what's happening with the Affordable Care Act, you know, or they can't stand what's happening with, with other policies that are coming out of these. Well, the, well the, n n now it's in my arena, so I'll say to you, Dr. Stu, maybe what I... What this I, is your arena. This is my arena, what I should have said a moment ago, and I've said many times on the radio, and I'll say it to you again now, very smart people can come to very different conclusions. So, uh, because someone draws a conclusion different from your own does not mean they lack intellect, does it? No, it does not mean they lack That's intellect. That's pejorative, isn't it? To think that they lack intellect? Yeah. Would be, yes. Yeah, right, okay. Right, but, they, but to... But, I would I would submit that those of us who believe in the choices that I advocate for right. do not come up with ridiculous juvenile slogans and silly bumper stickers to belittle people right okay who don't believe in what we do I agree with I'm you. I'm angry and frustrated with the doctor that did this to this woman mm -hmm. 
and she may think she did it right. I'm 100% certain she thinks she did a good thing. The doctor. Right. She right. even did it. She even had to justify it to the patient by telling her what a hard time she had getting the baby out through the C-section scar, These, which just means maybe she didn't cut a big enough scar. Right. But I don't even care what that means. Why would you even say that to a person unless you maybe feel like you wanted to absolutely justify your position mm. you know it's interesting because when you talk about the meetings that you have sometimes at the sanctuary here in los angeles where you talk about uh, the icam meeting that you had right and, and you say the kleenex box comes out because the tears start flowing yep. it underscores something that i think obviously to anyone who has listened to all 32 of dr stew's podcasts or even just a few of them how incredibly emotional uh pregnancy childbirth labor and all of this can be i think sometimes and I'll throw it out there, it seems anecdotally from some of the stories you tell that sometimes some of the professionals, some of the doctors, the nurses, the clinicians involved in pregnancy and childbirth, sometimes I think the emotion is lost on them. Is that possible? That, that the emotional toll and impact that every utterance that you might make to a pregnant woman Every utterance that a doctor makes to a pregnant woman can be heard by that woman in that condition in a thousand different ways. And as you said a moment ago, even recalling these stories years later still reduce them to tears. Oh, and they recall even the tone of voice that the, that the physician had years later. Uh, you're right. It's remarkable. It's remarkable they don't think about it. But again, when, you're, when your visits are short, when you're patience is short when you have multiple pressures on it not rationalizing and not justifying well i am rationalizing i'm not justifying it but yeah it does you you, you doctors need to take a step back and, and remember that it's the patient and the family that is really what's important but on a scale of how government and, and bureaucracy runs medicine these days and forces doctors to being these sheep is that there's no room for that anymore. I mean, one of the things that the sanctuary does, which I think is really great, is twice a month we do a thing called nervous anticipation. Mm. It's open to the public. We have one at the sanctuary on the west side, one in the valley. I think it's coming up this week, mm. which will be last week by the time this podcast gets... Right, but still go to the website. Yeah. You can get linked on, come, on the website. Go to the sanctuary website. You'll find it. But what we do is for two hours, we spend talking. It's free to the public. We spend talking and answering questions about people might have about the different styles of birth it's not a it's not a selling point for home birthing we don't even talk about one over the other we do just talk about choices we try to have guest speakers we would love to have a hospital-based physician sometime we have a chiropractor that comes on we have midwives that come on we have administrators that come on we usually have childbirth educators that come with us and sit in the front and then couples come and they ask their questions so before they decide that going to a, a doctor that's going to do unnecessary tests and then unnecessary things based on those tests is the only option they have they know to ask a question so that they don't sit in a circle two three four years later crying with tears because they didn't have the information that is great information and all of the links are right there on dr stew's podcast.com dr stew's podcast.com wow what a uh, what a great podcast the name of the book again assume the physician the author is john f hunt md and that would be you know oprah's got a book club if dr stew had a book club that'd be at the top of the yeah, list it would be at the top of the list and i want to wish everybody a merry christmas uh and uh and a wonderful and, and a uh, you know what and, and, and go ahead a stress-free holiday season if that's possible yeah it, well it is possible because focus on the simple things focus on the things that really matter but don't 
bury your head in the sand about the things that are big and you know things that are pushing you or, or causing you uh, that may be grief for you grief for your children and you know you, you need to stand up and that's what I'm doing here and Brian I thank you for your help producer Randy always a pleasure as always thank you so much for Dr. Stuart Fishbein I'm Brian Whitman thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's podcast Thank you.